God wants. How many are submitting your will to God's will today? Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Thank you, worship team. And thank you all for making Lollapalooza amazing and for your generosity to cover all of those expenses. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. I'm going to do a part two on this passage. I talked about it the week before the Lollapalooza, and I really tied into the Father's discipline. Was anybody here for that message when I really talked about Father's discipline? A few of you? Amen. Anybody paying attention to me? Everybody looking up their Bible? I know, I know. It's okay. But I really want to go more in depth into this because last time I was here, I really honed in on the Father's discipline. So let me just explain to you why I did that and why I won't be repeating that today because I think the foundation is there. And if you missed it, all, all the messages are online. But when I look at my wife, come on, I'm just going to have you come on up here. Could you come up here, beautiful boobster? Let's give it up for Nancy Van Ostick. When I look at my beautiful wife, how many know there are differences between male and female? How many believe that you can properly identify us as male and female? Amen. Now, this doesn't mean every man is going to be a man like me, a little bit taller than your wife. It doesn't mean you're going to be stronger. Maybe your wife can beat you up. I don't know, okay? But the Bible, somebody say the Bible. Say the Bible assumes gender roles. It already assumes it. It doesn't even go into a long discussion about it, okay? It just assumes that you understand a man is different than a woman. Now, if you want to know the explanation of it, you can go back to the book of Genesis. But like in Hebrews, he doesn't take you on an entire journey to understand gender roles. It just assumes that you already know. And so how many know, just by looking at us here, that there are differences between a man and a woman? One more time. Amen. There's a difference. How many know if we were to arm wrestle, let's get set up here like we're going to arm wrestle, baby, over the top right here. Everybody remembers that old school movie. How many know if we were going to arm wrestle, there would be a difference? Now, we know, yes, we know that most men can do that, but there are some women that could beat me. Okay, we, we get that. So the idea that the Bible has is that there's gender roles. And so what I got locked into last uh, time I preached on this is that when a woman disciplines, generally speaking, we're not talking about if you had a crazy mom like I did, okay? And my mom said she wished she could come up and tell her side of the story because she said, I deserved every bit of it. But that's another discussion because we couldn't have her speak last week because we had so many things going on, Lollapalooza. But she heard my message and she was like, oh, I want to tell them why your mom was crazy. I want to tell them why I was beating you all the time. I want to tell them. I want to tell them. And I go, maybe another time, okay? But, okay, I'm not saying, like, you can't have a mom that's strong that's going to whip you with the belt and get all up on you, you know? But I'm just saying, like, gender roles who would guess would be the stronger disciplinarian in just gender roles? The man. That's what the Bible is assuming. Once again, I'm sorry if that offends you. If you have watched too much Ellen Degenerate, I mean DeGeneres, that you're confused now. I'm just letting you know the context of the Bible. So last time I preached on this, I talked about the difference that I have as a man than my wife has. My wife sometimes may be emotional with them, yelling at them, but when I come down, somebody's either getting whooped, pads are getting taken away. Like it's, there is an action that is happening. My wife is going to let them know a lot of things that are happening inside of her heart. There's a lot of, there's a lot of words going forth. But when I come on the scene, can I get an amen from some fathers? There's not a lot of words, but there's a lot of action. 
You sit over there, you sit over there, you wait for me in the bathroom and get the wooden spoon. I mean, that's it. I'm not going to be screaming and hollering for long, but that's, but that's just a gender role that's assumed. You could be a woman that's like that, how I am, like, uh, like a father. That's okay. But I went through that because the Bible says that when we receive God's discipline, we need to be able to look at God and him disciplining us as we did our father disciplining us. And the first problem that we have just reading the Bible that already assumes the gender role, it also assumes that you had a father and that you had a good one that knew how to raise you right. But how many know in our culture that is not really what's happening? There are not, there are not a lot of fathers in the home. If you could just scroll down the notes there, please. There's a link. Just go, go ahead and click on it. Uh, right there it says, moreover, we all, listen to how he just summarizes. It just speaks in general. He, he's saying, we all had fathers who disciplined us. But how many know if the author of Hebrews was preaching that right now to this church and making that statement, people would go... Uh, uh, excuse me, author, uh, we all didn't have fathers. And a lot of us who had fathers, uh, you know, around, they weren't disciplining us, and it sure wasn't good. Just go ahead and click on it for me, man of God. And this is the problem that we're facing. We're, pra- we're, fa- we're, we're facing fatherless homes. And because we have fatherless homes, and just go ahead and zoom in, yeah, so they can see all the stats and facts. How many already know the stats and facts of fatherless homes? Oh, okay, okay, some of you all didn't say amen, so you better check this out because I don't have time to go over it. But there are so many problems. Look at this. About 80% of single-parent homes are led by the single mother, and God bless them, right? But now in that home, they're twice as likely to suffer mental health and behavior problems of those living with married parents. 70% of youth in state-operated facilities were the single-parent homes, okay? Now, I know sometimes the moms hear that, and they get scared, and they go, I don't want that to happen. That's why you got to come to church, mom, because you're going to be around a community that helps you, that we got your back. Amen. I said, amen. Come on. We are our brother and our sister's keeper. But now once again, go back to the scripture, please. The Bible says we all had fathers. You can go ahead and hit back. Thank you. We all had fathers, but see, we don't, we don't get that. And now what the problem is, is there are some good people that want to find a father figure, but you know who they're turning to? Andrew Tate. Man, that dude's a wicked pimping sinner. You don't need Andrew Tate fellows to come up to be a value man. You need Peter, Paul, and James. Amen. And a little Javier and and Rudy on the side. You see, you get Peter, Paul, and James right here, but then you get uh, Javier right here. Amen. So you got to have both. You go to the scriptures and you find it, and then you look for those men. Now, once again, this wasn't a Father's Day message, and it wasn't meant to diminish women. I just wanted to explain. Nobody complained, by the way, but even if you did, I would still do this. But listen, it, it, it wasn't meant to diminish women, and it wasn't meant to say that strong women can't exist. I believe in strong women. We even have women pastors. We believe in strong women. My wife is a pastor. She has an authority. And if you don't hear it from her and you want to hear it from me, trust me, you don't want to hear it from me. So let's say my wife said it and you're like, no, I want to hear it from Joe. When I come in the room, it's not going to be what you want at that time. Because you get what I'm saying? You mess with our women pastors and you get me in the room. The, the, The words that are coming out of my mouth is hit the door, Jack, and don't look back. Why? It's quiet like that? You all better say amen. When our women preachers tell you what God says, that's what God says. Read the Bible. Deborah said what God said. You had to follow it. A king followed it. Now, some of you may say, man, I prefer, even if there are women pastors, for a man to be the more dominant of the one, to be the one more. That's just between you and the Lord. I can, I can kind of say I relate to that in some ways, but maybe you haven't met some of the powerful women of God that I've seen pastor and lead, and I'm, I'm really a person that's been touched by those ministries. So I, I, can, I can understand it, but I have been under some powerful women pastors. Can I hear an amen to that? 
that. For me, testify. You just amen in my testimony. You don't have to agree with it, but you got to understand my testimony. But anyways, going back to it, when my wife speaks, she has authority, she has power, but that's not the example that's given here. What I needed to speak about last week was the power and the authority that the Father has in the family and what God has called them to do. And then the Bible says, God the Father's like that one. Go back down to that scripture, please. Just go back down because we're going to read it all again, but I just want you to hear this in review. Moreover, we all had human fathers who what? Who just tickled us? Who just took us out to ice cream? No, who disciplined us and we what? Respected them for it. See, then it takes for granted that you respected your father for it. Even me as a wicked sinner living rebelliously in my parents' house, when I became a Christian, I respected my father for his discipline because I had a good father like this. Now, notice what it says. We respected him for it, but well, watch. Look at the comparison here. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? So once again, if you didn't have an earthly father, and if you were not disciplined by that earthly father, and if you didn't respect that earthly father, how can you understand the how much more? See, it gets quiet like this. Come on. You better just say amen or oh my. Come on, some of you didn't grow up with the Father. You can say, oh my, but say amen now. Do you believe it? Because look at it. How much more should we submit to the Father of Spirits? And that's why, just, just everybody understand, that's why I had to spend a whole message talking about the difference between men and women and how fathers are disciplinarians different than their wives. Mm, amen. God bless you. Let's go to the Scripture. Now, how many ready? How many ready? Y'all quiet in second service. You're supposed to be the woke bunch. Came up already, slept in today, had your three coffees, whatever. Go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, part 2 of receiving the Father's discipline. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw, a, throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles us. The first thing that you see in this passage is that the author is saying is that there's two things that can hinder you in your race towards the Lord. The thing that can hinder you, first and foremost, is sin. Everybody say sin. Amen. Sin is the same for everybody in all generations. That which God considered a sin in the Old Testament, he considers a sin in the New Testament. These are the morals of God. This is thou shall not murder, thou shall not steal. These are don't take the name of the Lord in vain, homosexuality, sexuality outside of marriage is a sin, and so forth. Blaspheming, all of this is a sin. Now what people uh, get confused about is that from the Old Testament to the New Testament, they had other laws that you could be penalized for that weren't in the realm of the moral sin category. In other words, that you couldn't mix your cloth with two different types of fabric. When you planted your vegetables, you couldn't mix them with two different kinds of vegetables. They had to be separate in their rows. There was ways that you went to the bathroom. There was ways that you ate your food. There was ways that you went to the temple. Everybody say laws. Amen. Out of the 610 laws that they had, maybe only, say, 30 were moral laws. All the rest of them were civil, priestly, and cultural laws. So then sometimes people think, and the book of Hebrews has taught us how to dissect them and discern them. Sometimes people who don't read the book of Hebrews have not been in a study like you think that we as Christians now are picking and choosing what we're taking out of the Old Testament and applying to the New Testament as a sin. As I've given you the example before, Jack Black, 
back. I think it was a Saturday Night Live skit. He's there dressed up as Jesus, and he's pretending to be homosexual and be effeminate, and he's affirming homosexuals because he also affirms eating shrimp. And I'm sure I botched up that whole skit, but you kind of get this point like, if you're going to be consistent, Jesus, and let us eat shrimp, then you're going to let us be homosexual. How many people get the argument? You don't agree with it, but do you understand it? Because what they're thinking from the outside, looking in, obviously they don't have the information we do, don't take time to do their research, is they think we're picking and choosing. So we go to the Bible in the Old Testament, and we go, man shall not lie with a man as he does a woman. That still applies today. Hey, but by the way, you can put another shrimp on the Barbie if you want, even though it says not to eat it. But where they don't understand, and where hopefully you do understand, is that the sins of the Bible, when it came to the moral code of God, have not changed from Old Testament to New Testament. The same God that said, do not lie back then, is still saying, do not lie now. But what did change were the laws that pertain to the culture, the customs, the priesthood, and etc. Go to Colossians chapter 2 with me. Let me just show it to you. I don't have time to re-preach these messages, but I just want you to know what a sin is. Somebody say, sin has never changed. Amen. If you look at what Cain and Abel, uh, Cain getting in trouble for killing Abel, what that was about, that's because of sin. That's still wrong today to murder your brother. Uh, we look at the flood that came during the time of Noah's generation. They were doing uh, uh, all types of things. Those things are still sins today, and those are going to be what God judges our nation for and others. If you look at Sodom and Gomorrah and what they got judged for, God is still going to judge that. Can I hear an amen? Amen. God's judgment, thank you, saints, has always been based on his moral laws. He never judged everybody. Get this. He never judged the Old Testament communities for the things that they didn't do by the priesthood or by the culture or for eating pork. In other words, you don't see another city getting hellfire poured on it like Sodom and Gomorrah because they're eating bacon. And can everybody say amen for bacon? Aren't you glad you can eat it now, right? But you know, but you don't see somewhere in the Old Testament, okay, angels, you go to Sodom and Gomorrah because they're practicing homosexuality. But then you other angels, you guys go over here to Atlanta because they they frying up some pork, you know, they they barbecuing over there. No, no, no. There wasn't like that. Anytime you ever see judgment come down, everybody say it's sin. For all people, all time, sin has never changed. But notice how things do change with priesthood, how things change with cultures and customs and so forth. Look at chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2. Looking at how the law now is the fulfillment, uh, Christ is now the fulfillment of the law. Look at it in chapter 2, starting in verse 9. Is it chapter 2, verse, oh no, sorry, verse 16. Chapter 2, verse 16. We could start in 9, but it would take us a long time to get there. But I'll tell you what, just go up to verse 13. This would be good. Chapter 2, verse 13, Colossians. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. So notice this right here. These are uh, pagans, these Colossian people are Greeks and Romans getting saved, coming to the God of Israel. And he's saying to them, you used to be in sin and you didn't even have a circumcision like the Jews, but God made you alive in Christ. See, he forgave their sins even though they weren't circumcised. See, in the Old Testament, for a sign that you were getting God's forgiveness is that you were circumcised. But he says here to them, even though you haven't been circumcised, you're still forgiven. Everybody say forgiven. Forgiven. 
Amen. Keep going. He forgave all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our illegal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He he took it all away, nailing it to the cross, having disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now look at verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you what? By what you eat and what you drink or with regard to a what? A Sabbath, a religious festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath day. Now notice this. These are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in who? Christ. Thank you, brothers and sisters. So we don't judge each other by what we eat. Well, there goes the dietary laws. Drinking as well, just as long as you don't get drunk, the Bible says. With regard to a religious festival, well, there goes all their ceremonies. A new moon, a Sabbath. You know, sometimes Seventh-day Adventists, we had a couple come out and join us. They were dressed a little bit, uh, you know, conservatively. We uh, asked them some questions. What group were they from? They said they're Seventh-day Adventists. So they still go to church on the Saturday like the Jews. This is what we said. If you want to play with us and go out and, you know, be our friends, you got to play nice. If not, you're going to a time out, okay? So you can't come out here commanding people to keep the seventh day as church. You can have the seventh day as church, the day of the Lord in the Old Testament. That can be your preference to be like that, but you cannot make it a command. Why? The Bible literally says, don't let anybody judge you by that. Now, how many know we can judge based on sins? How many know that? If you believe we can judge based on sin and you don't want to be here for four hours as I explained that, can somebody say amen? Otherwise, literally, I got to explain it. And I love my job. How many want to be here for four hours? You're good. I'm good, man. My kids are good. They ate before they got here. But you can't judge somebody on these things, but you can judge on sin. So if you see me committing adultery, you're supposed to make a judgment, y'all. That's the bottom line. You see somebody sinning, you're supposed to make a judgment. Just, I got to, because you're all quiet today. I don't know if it requires the four hours, but you might get some four hours right now. Y'all ready? Okay, go with me to John chapter 7. Just go with there with me, and I think it will bless some of you. John chapter 7. Everybody, and just put in the, uh, the other tab, Matthew chapter 6. What everybody wants to bring up, and we'll start in Matthew chapter 6. This will help some people. What everybody always wants to bring up is in Matthew chapter 6, and go ahead and scroll down for me, please. Uh, it's going to be Matthew 7. Go ahead, just keep scrolling down. So it's going to be Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. What everybody always wants to bring up is Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. What does it say together, saints? Let's say it all together. One, two, three. Do not judge or you too will be judged. So everybody stops there and says, no, nobody can judge. But keep scrolling what it says, uh, scrolling down. It says, you hypocrite. This is the judgment you're not supposed to make, a hypocritical judgment. First take the plank out of your eye, then you will clearly be able to remove the speck from your brother's eyes. Everybody get that? So the judgment I don't make is a hypocritical judgment. So in other words, if I'm living in sin, I now do not have permission to talk to others about their sin. What that is like according to the scripture is me having a plank in my eye trying to do LASIK for you. And I have had LASIK done, and I'm glad that my doctor didn't come in with a plank in his eye as he was lining up the lasers. How many are happy about that? Zip, there goes my eye. I'm blind now, you know. So he didn't have a plank in his eye when he did my LASIK. A hypocrite has planks in their eye and is trying to do LASIK, get specks out of your eye. But notice he doesn't just say, well, we're all just sinners, so don't nobody mess with anybody else because we all got planks in our eyes. No, keep going. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye. So get that taken care of. Then you can clearly remove the speck from your brother's eye. 
So get the sin out of your life. Let's just use that for what it's meant to be. Get the big sin out of your life so you can help your friend get the little sin out of their life. Amen? And if you didn't think that's what Jesus meant, and let's just say you didn't think that. Like, let's just say you missed that entire point. goes right over your head. Now you have to explain why he asked you to make judgments about who are dogs and pigs in your life. Because the very next words are, do not give dogs what is sacred. If I don't make a judgment, how do I know who a dog is in my life? Young people going around, hey, what's up, what's up, dog, what's up, dog? Man, you better be careful you calling a dog. I'm a lion. Rawr! Looking at these young people. I ain't a dog. I'm what, I'm a, I'm a, a dog is what I eat for breakfast. You listening to me? How many, how many lions in here? Hey, man, I'm a lion. Feed me a dog. I'm not one. No, I'm just half kidding there. I know kids talk like that, but... But notice that you got to make a judgment. Don't give dogs what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Well, I thought, Jesus, you told me not to judge anybody. How do I know who a dog is then? How do I know who a pig is in my life? Well, you better make a judgment. You better not let everybody just babysit your children. You better not let your children just date anybody other because there's dogs and pigs. Amen? You better not just go around anybody as your friends because there's dogs and pigs in your life as friends. You better know how to make friends with some lions of Zion, amen, some sheep pure and holy. So notice this. He wasn't telling you you couldn't make judgments in general. He's telling you the kind of judgments you can and you cannot make. Once you know how to get junk out of your life, you can help others. That's the point. Now that you know how to help others, don't waste your time helping people like dogs and pigs who don't want it. That means, from the old school way of saying it, is you got to give people sometime the gift of goodbye. The new way of saying it is, bye, Felicia. Amen? Sometimes you just got to say, bye, Felicia, we're done. You know, oh, I don't like you Christians saying all of that. Okay, talk to the hand, then I'm going to go talk to somebody else. I've had sinners on the street get mad at me when I say I'm done talking with them because they just want to keep cussing me out to ease their conscience. And I'm like, no, I'm done with you because you're a dog or a pig. I don't have anything else to give you because everything else precious that I give you, you're going to urinate on and chew up and spit out and put in the mud. I've got to go find the lost sheep of my shepherd. I've got to go out there and find the children of God that want to be lions. Amen? And I know some of you are like offended by that. Like, man, God is calling people dogs and pigs. Yeah, he calls them a lot worse too. Don't even look at me like the way you look at me. Some of y'all better say amen or I'll show you some stuff in the Bible that will go straight to PG-13. Maybe a few of you saying amen. Let me just tell you this. There is some PG-13 language in the Bible, and if you're not careful with it, you can think that God is cussing people out. As a matter of fact, the real idea of cursing comes from this Bible, because if you're not blessed, you're cursed. And I'll just say it like this. It's found in the book of Jeremiah, and he basically says you're acting like a bunch of tricks and hoes, and then he describes how they are tricking and how they're going like whores everywhere, and he describes the behavior and what they look for, and then he says you're nasty, and I'm about to put you out. That's enough for right now. Let me just say amen to that. Can I hear an amen if you know he called them out? And even in the New Testament, he said, you adulterers, how do you think you can cheat on God and get away for, uh, get away for, uh, from his judgment? He's going to judge you. You're not going to get away with it. Now, go back with me to the, to the passage of Hebrews, and I want you to know why. Oh, no, no, go to John now, because I, I got I to show you John 7. How many love Jesus? How many believe he doesn't contradict himself? Amen. Now scroll down to the red letters right here. I believe it's going to be uh, further down. It's going to be right around verse, I think, 23. Make a righteous judgment. Somebody help me get there. Yeah, there we go, 24. Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead do what? 
judge what? Correctly. So do Christians make judgment? Oh, yeah, court's in session, baby. I'll make a judgment right now. But I'm going to make it on the word of God. And if I don't come at you with the word of God, then you got only my opinion. And how many know opinions are like armpits? We all got a couple of them. They usually what stink, right? So if I'm going to make a judgment, I better come with this. So if I'm going to say Ellen is degenerate while I'm messing up her name degenerous, which is always funny and gets a little chuckle out of somebody who's never heard it, but it's one of my old little pastor jokes, you know. When I say that, if I'm going to call her a degenerate, what do I mean by that? Am I being mean to her? No, I'm making a judgment over her public public relationship as a lesbian that, that the bible says is degeneracy she is going against the natural order i'm not doing that on mere appearance have i made a judgment about ellen's degeneracy based on mere appearance no she's told us what she does has she not she says she loves a woman. Katy Perry said she kissed a girl. She was proud of it and she liked it. I'm not judging these people on this. I'm not judging Shakira and, Le- and-, and J-Lo when they dance their fannies off at the uh, Super Bowl uh, in the halftime. They showing me. That's not just by mere appearance. They show me what they want. Can I hear an amen? Miley Cyrus, all of them. They show you what they're about. The words, the Bible says, comes from the abundance of their heart. They tell you who they are. They tell you what they believe. And that is what you can make a judgment on. You make a judgment on their words and deeds. What we can't make a judgment on is whether or not Ellen is a nice person. Now, some people have come out from behind the scenes when everybody was getting woke and everybody had something to complain about somebody. Some people came out from Ellen's business and said she's, she's horrible to work with. She's not a funny person behind the scenes. She's not nice to her workers. I don't know that. That may be very true, but I can't make a judgment about that. I would have to investigate that more. Can I hear an amen? But I can judge her on being a degenerate when it comes to her homosexuality. Amen? I I can't judge you on how you are behind closed doors. I don't go there with you. I don't know whether or not you're a drunkard. I don't know if you abuse drugs and all of these different things. But if you tell me, man, I'm sleeping with my girlfriend. If you tell me I'm out getting drunk, then I'll make a judgment and tell you you are a sinner on your way to hell until you ask for forgiveness and get true transformation. Amen. Now go to Hebrews chapter 12, please. What does the Bible say? You're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Who are those people? Those are the ones from Hebrews 11 that we've all learned about, the heroes of faith that were people just like you and I, tempted in ways just like you and I, sinners who messed up just like you and I, and were forgiven and lived a righteous life. So now they're in the grandstands, and they're cheering us on, saying, man, you can do it, Father. Father Abraham says, you can do it, because if God gave me faith to be a great father, you can do it too, sir. Mother Sarah's up there going, you can do it, sisters. You can be a great mother. Those of you who have come from struggling backgrounds, Rahab's up there clapping and cheering for you. Rahab was a prostitute. Come on, she was an OnlyFans chick, and she's up there cheering on the ladies going, man, you can do this. Amen? And you got David up there, man, the serial adulterer, man, the man that couldn't get his life right, couldn't keep himself in check. And he's like, man, if God gave me second and third chances, he'll do the same for you. How many know there's testimonies in that chapter, right? But now they're a cloud of witnesses. And what are we supposed to do knowing that? We're to throw off our sin, that sin that entangles us. And we're not supposed to let it weigh us down. Go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 in the King James, please. Because there's another word that's also used there, as it says in the NIV, not only throw off your sin, and it says the things that entangle you, but I want you to see what it says about it in the King James. It says, let us throw off every weight. Somebody say weight. 
Amen. You have to learn how to throw off every weight. You see, we went to the Old Testament, and we understand now the New Testament to know that sins have never changed. We know that God's cultural laws have changed from Old Testament to New Testament, the Sabbath day, the, set, the festivals as we read in Colossians 2. But now we understand that there is something in this new covenant that's not a sin, but it can hold you back. And what is it called? It starts with the W, a weight. Now, what is a weight? A weight is something that God says to you and to you personally, this is what holds you back. And you have to be willing to let go of it. So as I give myself as an example, when I first got saved, I had to give up watching movies that were not Christian. Now, is it a sin to watch a movie that's not a Christian movie? Like, in other words, if you today were to watch Little Mermaid, are you sinning? No, you're not sinning. So that was not a sin. That wasn't something that was forever said in God's testimony of his character that you can't do that. But it became a sin for me. It didn't matter what movie it was. God said he wanted me to cut it off. That was for me. That was a weight. That was something that was holding me back. Why? Because if you looked at the way I watched movies, I watched them all the time. I remember going to Blockbusters. That's how you had to do it back in the day. And I was coming back so frequently as a new Christian. They said, man, you're always here. Man, what do you do uh, like in life? And I, I basically needed to be honest, but I just kind of said, well, I love Jesus now and I'm trying to do the right thing. But I could have been really honest saying I was a drug dealer and I don't know what to do with my life. I'm just watching movies all the time because that's what I used to do. I used to work random jobs just to make sure if, if the game wasn't well, I still had money to put in the tank. But that's what I was. I was a drug dealer. Now I'm not a drug dealer. What do you do all the time if you're not a drug dealer anymore, especially if you used to spend, spending up, you know, you know, staying up all night, spending all your money? I just had a bunch of money in my pocket up at 3 in the morning. So I would go to Blockbuster. And then listen, when they said to me, what, what are you about? How can you do all this? You know, just the way they asked. And I know they weren't trying to be rude. The Holy Spirit just hit me and said, they think that I'm not good enough to keep you occupied, that you have to come back to them to get something to entertain you. And so the Lord said, you now let me entertain you. You let me now give you things to do, and I'll show you you never need a movie again. And if anybody ever asks you what your life is about, you're going to say your life is about Jesus. That's why some of you look at me now, and, and you know that I have hobbies, wakeboarding or bike riding and all that, and you're like, man, that's pretty cool. Listen, not only did I not watch movies or listen to secular music, I I gave up every single hobby for Jesus. I didn't fish. I didn't skateboard. I did nothing but wake up, do church, Jesus 24-7. I would preach the gospel everywhere I went. I would carry a Bible like this to Piggly Wiggly in the South. Anybody ever heard of Piggly Wiggly? It's a grocery store in the South. And I, it was like the dollar store of that time. You know, the Aldi's. Everybody hating on the Aldi's. I love Aldi's, man. Now, now after we've gone through a little bit of a recession, everybody's like, I love Aldi's. Man, you were on that dominant stuff until they got shut down. Now you're trying to come to my store, but we'll let you in with the cardboard box and how they stack, stack up everything. I would go to Piggly Wiggly with a Bible in my cart, getting my ramen noodles and hot dogs and whatever, and I would preach the gospel. Man, I would sit in the Bible school just studying the whole entire time. And then when I graduated, man, I did ministry all the time. I had to take, you know, people had to teach me how to take a day off. I didn't even know what to do on my day off. I had a sister from the Bible college say, hey, you know, you like to eat this seafood. I'm going to show you where to catch it. Come to my house. That's how I got into crawfish and being in the swamps out there, y'all. 
y'all, is because one of my sisters said, it looks like you need to blow off some steam. You always intense. Seriously, I've always been intense for Jesus. So she's like, you need to learn to rest a little bit, have fun. I had to learn how to do that. I had friends, I'm going to be, y'all going to think I'm crazy right here. I had friends taking trips to the beach that I rebuked and said, ain't nobody got time for that. I believed it was a sin. This was for me because I started taking my personal convictions, putting them on everybody. I preached in my Bible college, if dudes took off their shirts at the beach, they were in sin because of their vanity. Now it would be because of like, I would make you like want to puke, you know. But back then, some of us dudes, we were in good shape and we would take off our shirts, flex our muscles. And I was like, dude, you doing that for the girls, you can't go to the beach. The only way you can do it is find some private part of the beach. And, I, and, and even some brothers were so like hype on Jesus with me, they followed my lead. You can even see me leading out my life group or my, my youth group to outings where guys are wearing t-shirts and long shorts as they're swimming, especially the girls doing the same thing. Oh, y'all don't like me now? I was King James only, only reading out the King James. Man, I'm telling you. But you see, what I didn't understand is that those were just weights that God was lifting off of me. See, God wanted me to get the vernacular of the world out of my mouth and wanted me to learn King James. See, that's why when I'm with a lot of our pastors, even just today, I'm like with weight. You know, I always quote the scripture for whatever reason. Somebody might say it's because it's anointed, you know, but it's always in King James. See, it doesn't say every way in the NIV, but I remember it as every way. Wherefore, seeing we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily besets us. You know, I know it like that. I know the word like that because in my most pivotal years, I learned it in the King James so I would get the vernacular of the world out my mouth. But some of you, that's it's not even an issue. Why would you have to read the King James to do that? You're good. Just read the NIV. That's why we teach it from here, the NIV. But like I said, no secular music, no movies, no TV that wasn't about God. I remember one time, God is my witness. She, my wife even remembers because we had some of the friends the same before we, we, we hooked up and started getting together. Her youth pastor was one of my best friends. He was watching Lord of the Rings, which is now one of my favorite movies. He was watching Lord of the Rings on an outreach after we got back. And you know what I did, sister? I said, brother, I can't be with you now, man. I'm going to go in my room and read my Bible. Man, I put so much condemnation on that. Dude, we call this condo bondo, condemnation and bondage. Now we say there is no condo bondo, okay? But I was, man, I would throw out some condo and bondo. I would be launching condemnation everywhere I went. I was the guy I thought he was better than everybody else because why? God was telling me to throw off weights. But now hold on, hold on. What came out of that season? I memorized so much of the scripture in the King James. What came out of that season, man, I spent about eight years doing nothing but straight ministry. Now, as a, as a man that's, what, 46 years old, I've got more experience in, in guys twice my age because I've been in the ministry that long with my hours, my time. Amen? Can I hear an amen? When I was not watching all those movies and doing all those things, man, I was putting together my ideas that have now come out to be 20 books. 20 books. Most pastors only write one or two. 20 books have been written. See, that kind of discipline the Lord uh, put in me. But it had to be something I had to differentiate between weight and sin. So now let me put it on you. Maybe you won't be legalistic like me, but are there weights that God's asking you to drop? Come on, what weights is he asking you to drop right now? That's why when I talk to some of you and I see that you, you know, you're loving Jesus, but you're struggling in your Christianity and you're new to this, I'm always like, man, chances are you're not really listening to the Holy Spirit because you still play video games like you used to. You still shop like you used to. Guys still got hoops always getting tattoos like they used to. You still go to the same places like you used to. And I'm like, hold on, man. God's probably not speaking or you're not listening to what God is saying. 
Because when I first got saved, I had to take out my hoops. Now, you notice here, we don't say anything against men with earrings, but I had those two big hoops, and, and God said, that's not who you are. Take those out. And, and, and I never put them back in. No, no problem with those who do. And as you can see, no tattoos. God said, you know what? That's vanity for you. So I didn't get any tattoos. My wife and I are thinking about getting a cute one one day. But you see, I knew the Lord was speaking to me. That's why I want you to get serious about God. So what does he say? Lay aside every sin and weight that so easily besets us. Let's go back to the NIV passage now. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So notice that we are in a race, and it has been marked out for us, but it's going to take perseverance. And what is the finish line? It's Jesus. You put your eyes on Jesus. How many got their eyes on Jesus? Anybody got eyes on Jesus? It don't matter what the world does. I got my eyes on Jesus. I'm not looking at the Senorita Bonita at Humboldt Park because I got my eyes on Jesus and she got her eyes on me. Come on. How many got their eyes on Jesus? Things get hard. Put your eyes on Jesus. Come on. I'll preach like I'm in knowledge now. Y'all get somebody on the keyboard. That's how I learned how to preach in the Africa. This is another story about me. Sometimes people think, white boy, you're being fake. This is as real as I know how to be. I was starting off, just like I told you, man, they showed me how to sw the fish in the swamp. I didn't know anything about that. They showed me how to do that. Big whaler showed me how to fish. Sister from the neighborhood showed me how to crawfish. She took me right down to the grocery store, got me some liver out of a can and some traps, started getting some crawfish. And it was the same thing because I knew how to preach. Like if you watch my first preaching message, I knew how to be excited, but I didn't know how to sing when I preached. So there was a couple times I was preaching in the black churches, and I would be preaching like this, and I it's just natural get a rhythm and then maybe Vinny get up here if you can please I would be preaching like this and all of a sudden nah, 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 I would hear it in the background and I would say oh what's going on nah, nah, nah. And, and then I just kind of looked over and I said what do I do and I just heard like a brother say preach preach white boy get on up here my brother we ain't done with eyes on Jesus we ain't done with it I got to encourage somebody today. I don't care if it looks corny. I had my whole kids dancing to gospel music the other day, didn't I? We were singing those songs because you know what? We have to hold on to our traditions of faith. I'm going to just encourage you just for a few minutes. You can call it a show, a performance. I don't care, Grand Old Opry. But I got to tell somebody to put their eyes on Jesus. And then I'm going to get back to teaching. But can I just preach this for a little bit? Now, some of y'all come from the Latino culture, and then it's like that tambourine. Where is that thing at? Yeah, come on. Come on, it's that tambourine. Come on, man. Put your eyes. Give me a little bit more. He's going to get that organ right now. You want this tambourine? You better help me then, sister. We're going to get Latino. We're going to get it all up in here. Vanilla, caramel, and chocolate. Y'all ready? I feel like I'm just in, I feel like I'm vanilla with some chocolate on this side and some caramel on this side. I may be a gringo. I may be a white boy, but I know how to put my eyes on Jesus. When times are going hard, put your eyes on Jesus. When the world got you all crazy, put your eyes on Jesus. You hit when I'm not hitting. Put your eyes on Jesus. When the days get hard, we put your eyes on Jesus when nobody likes you. Bro, where you at? Don't worry about her. Just get at me right here. Put your eyes on Jesus. Put your eyes on Jesus. When your neighbor don't like you, put your eyes on Jesus. 
when they make fun of you for carrying your Bible. Put your eyes on Jesus. Young people, when you go to school, put your eyes on Jesus. Don't look at those hottie batatis. Put your eyes on Jesus. When little Nas tries to get you to take a trip, put your eyes on Jesus. When the world says loving Jesus is wrong, say, I don't want to be right. Say, I'm with Jesus because Jesus with me. Woo! Give it up for my brother and sister. Thank you. Woo! Somebody like, you need to drop that weight, Pastor. Go back to white boy style. Now, hopefully somebody enjoyed that. Oh, man, put your eyes on Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I feel Jesus. I don't care if people th think it's a show. It just reminds me of where I come from. I see Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm going to put my eyes on him. Why? Because he's the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith, King James, author and finisher. What God started, he's going to finish. Hallelujah. I still got the rhythm in me right now. What God started, he's going to finish. So we're running a race, and we're looking at Jesus. We're throwing off our sin, and we're throwing off that weight. He's going to tell you what it is, and you're going to put your eyes on Jesus. You're going to run hard, and you're going to sometimes feel alone. You're going to sometimes feel discouraged, but he's going to give you the strength because he didn't start something that he's not going to finish. He started it off. He brought you to this point to bring you through. This is not your end. This is just your beginning. Amen. Greater days are ahead. The of faith may bring you through some valleys, hallelujah, but stick with Jesus because you'll come to a mountaintop. That's what the faith walk looks like. And then how did Jesus do it? How did he go through what he went through? Why can we look to him as our example? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Man, think about that, Jesus on the cross. What does he see in his heart? He sees you and I coming to follow him. It's just like the fathers and mothers here. You're working for your family, and it's not always easy. Why do you get up? Why do you do what you do? Because you see the joy before you. You see what it's going to do for your family. You see what it's going to do for your children. Jesus said, man, I see Joe coming. I see Nancy coming. I see Joselito coming. I see Carlos coming. I see uh, Karina coming. I'm going to stay up here. I'm going to be on that cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He was already God the Son before he came to earth. But when he took on flesh, he did that for us so that now as the God-man, he could be our intercessor, as Hebrew says, praying for us, so that we can face our temptation and victory. How many believe there's victory in Jesus today over temptation? Amen? Now notice this, verse 3, and highlight it, please. Consider him talking about Jesus who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Don't let anybody tell you nobody's like Jesus. This only applies to sinners. Yes, nobody's like Jesus without Jesus. But once you have Jesus, who are you like? Jesus. That's why we're called Christians, not Satanists. You are like Jesus now. You are like Christ. 
Why? Because Christ is now in us. He's with us. He's fighting for us. So the world gets us to think like, oh man, I'm a sinner and Jesus was perfect and ain't nobody perfect. So I guess I won't even try and I'll just come to Jesus to give forgiveness. That's only understanding a part of his role. Jesus is not only our Savior, he's also our Lord and our example. Lord Jesus, Savior Jesus. They're describing two aspects of his role. He's our Salvador, he's our Savior and that he saves us from sin. He picks us up out of the miry clay, sets us on the firm foundation. But then what does he do as our drill drill sergeant, our instructor? He then teaches us how to follow him. So you're not supposed to look at Jesus and go, that's not my example. The Bible says the opposite. Look at Jesus as your example and don't grow weary or lose heart. Amen? Amen. Look at verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood. Jesus in the garden as a man. Remember, fully man, fully God. He experiences temptation like us, but to the point of sweating drops of blood, the Bible says. And now medical science has shown that stress can pop these, these vessels in your, in your forehead and cause blood to come out. Stress can be that great. The Bible says that's what Jesus went through. And so not only are we supposed to see Jesus as our example, but we're not even supposed to see it as, well, he was kind of like our example, like Superman. I mean, he's an example we follow, but he's really just like greater than us in all these ways. No, when he became a man, he became like us. Just like us. So it would be as if Superman lowered the amount of power he would use in going through life. Like I say, when I wrestle my kids, I don't throw them through the window. Amen? We don't do WWF with them. I lower my strength to feel how they would feel to try to arm wrestle and try to do those things. When Jesus was here, the Bible says he humbled himself. He humbled himself. So now watch. As a man, when he was tempted, it went to the point of so much stress, he shed blood through his his capillaries and his forehead. And the Bible says, you ain't done that. You keep going right back to OnlyFans and saying you tried, but sir, that's a lie. You really didn't try. Because if you tried, you would be gritting your teeth and sweating drops of blood before you gave up on that. Amen? And some of you ladies, it's the same thing. It's like, oh, you know what? I just can't help myself. He's such a good man, even though he don't come to church. I tried to say no, but he really got me to say, no, you didn't try. You didn't try. You didn't, uh, you didn't fight that temptation until drops of blood came from the capillaries of your forehead. So we're supposed to look at Jesus and go, he withheld his power, notice this, but then yet he faced the highest temptation. So in other words, as a man, Jesus did not suffer less than us. He actually suffered more than us. How many see now what the author is saying? In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And then you have forgotten completely this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Would you highlight that proverb, please? You can see it in the Old Testament, um, the whole proverb, not just the location, please. Notice this. The author of Hebrews quotes this entire passage from Hebrews. And what is the point of this passage? Get over yourself. Think about that. Take discipline like your father loves you and stop complaining about it. If I could tell you how many, if I, let's say like this, you know, the old saying, if I had a nickel for every time a Christian quit on God because times got tough, I'd be a millionaire. 
Every single one of us here have gone through this. And it's whether or not you have passed this test will determine whether or not you'll go through it again. Because if you're not getting the lesson, you're going to keep going through the discipline. How many are good parents here today? How many keep giving your children the discipline until they get the lesson? I'm not talking about beating them. I'm not talking about whooping them. I'm just saying, how many discipline your children until they get the lesson? How many here have ever done anything in life that required you more than one try and you had to go back and get it right until you passed the test? I don't care if it's your job. I don't care if it's you, uh, you know, getting a promotion or if it's you and your physical uh, workout. How many of you have had to go at something more than once to pass it? How about twice? How about three times? Yeah, you got to stay at things in life. How about this? The world says it like this, and I agree with them. There are no free lunches. See, we know we're saved by grace through faith, but after that, what do we now do in God's kingdom? Now that we're saved, now that we're born again, now that we're God's children, how do we live? My children got discipline in their lives. Yeah, they're a king's kid. Yeah, they're blessed in my house. There's a blessing upon them. I thank God I'm not who I used to be because there would have been a curse upon them. And I saw my siblings not go God's way, and there's a curse upon their children until they renounce it in Jesus' name. Can I hear an amen? Alcoholism passes down from generation to generation. Not being married to your, to, to your, uh, you know, your baby daddy, that's a, that's a curse, and that follows from generation from generation. My children are in a blessed home right now, aren't they? Come on, they're in a blessed home. But somebody, somebody say this with me. It takes work. Come on, it takes work to be a father of six, to be a husband of 18 years. That takes work. And I have to be disciplined. When I'm not, I got to get my lesson. There are times that God disciplines me and I don't like him. If anybody ever tells you that every time the Lord disciplines, they like it, then they have not dealt with God like I have dealt with him. I have not always liked God's discipline. I don't like doing 20 burpees. Amen. Some of you will burpee me out right now. I'll do about four or five, and I'm done. I don't like the discipline that I have to face sometimes, not only from God, but just in life. Man, I've been wanting a six-pack, fellas, for about the last three years. I still got the keg. Will you pray for me? Why don't I have a six-pack? Because I haven't done the discipline. Now, do you feel sorry for me? You shouldn't. It was my choice to eat that brownie the other day. It was my choice to go back. I think I had four tacos the other day. I'm serious, man. I ate four tacos in my own house the other day. Nobody made me do it. I did it all myself, but it was chicken. It was chicken. Okay, it was chicken breast, but I ate four of them. Don't feel sorry for the one that doesn't have discipline. That's their choice. It's your choice whether or not you receive it. Notice what God is saying right here. Don't make light of it. So often we come to Christianity and we make light of God's discipline. Oh, he loves me. He loves me. Yeah, it's true. He loves you, but he loves you enough to change you. As the old saying goes, he loves you just the way you are, but too much to let you stay that way. Every person in this church, I wish I could check your workout card right now as if I was your trainer to see what you're spiritually doing for the Lord. Just like as if I was a trainer. Hey, man, let me see your diet. Let me see the calories that you're putting in. Let me see the calories you're taking out. Because that will show me real quick why your attitude is the way it is. That will show me real quick why you're winning or you're losing in your spiritual life. That would show me real quick why you're not blessed or what if you're cursed. It would show me real quick because a lot of what people call Christianity is make-believe. It's no different than going to the wishing well, throwing in a quarter, going, I hope things work out for me. Does the Bible say that you just make prayer your main priority and that's all that you need? Or does it say you also need discipline? Come on, it says don't make light of the Lord's what? Discipline. Now notice this, verse 7. Endure good times as what? <laughs> Is that what it says though? Endure what? Hardship as what? Anybody here ever gone through hardship? 
Let's be honest. Did you stop praying? Did you stop reading your Bible? There's empty chairs in here today because people are going through hardship and they don't want to come to church. That's like you saying, I don't want to take my dirty car to a car wash. Come on, somebody. How many know that's what a lot of people do? They're lazy. Their car washes now are 2 or $3. I remember, I don't even want to tell on them right now, but there's somebody that's in this church. They came to pick me up with the messiest car I've ever seen in my life. I said, bro, I'm going to teach you lesson number one, how to clean a car. He, oh, I want to spend time with pastor. I want to spend time with pastor. Okay, this is the first thing pastor is going to teach you how to do is we're going to go to a car wash. This dude wasn't broke, but he didn't know how to wash a car. You know what it took? It took about $5. You put it right in there, and then that thing washed you. And then guess what they have for free on the side? Vacuum cleaner. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I should check your car right now. You know it, but do you do it? This brother didn't do it for years. Had to go there and show him how to use that vacuum cleaner. Brothers and sisters, hear me when I say this today. You and I will endure hardship as discipline until we get our lesson. You will. You think, come on, everybody get this right now. This ain't your singing preacher. This is where I get, you know, it gets a little tough. Listen to me. You think God's going to let Israelites, his chosen people, walk through a desert for 40 years because they didn't understand what he was trying to teach them. And you think he's going to let your little sweet behind off? <laughs> oh, the angels, don't mess with that one. Just let them be. Give them a bed of roses, a yellow brick road. Those are my favorite. Just don't mess with them. No, come on. Now. You ain't getting off easy. And everybody, what do they say right after this? But, 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 but. And God says, get your big old butt out the way. Because everybody wants to make a, a, a but. But, 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 God, I would read my Bible more if I wasn't such a corporate savage and having to make moves and doing everything I'm doing. But, but, but. And God says, get your butt out the way because you can gain the whole world and lose your soul, corporate savage. You better get a G-O-D before you get your CEO. Because a CEO can't take you to heaven, y'all. I'm telling you, man, I look at these people all the time. They're making their moves downtown and all that, and I thank God for people who want to be winners in life. But I see them with their phone and all that, and I see them with their money, and I'm like, you better ask your banker what the meaning of life is then because you ain't making time to hear it from God. You better go check with your accountant because those are your preachers. Those are your gods, and I'm going to tell you something right now. They're going, each one of them is going to lead you to hell. Don't put your big old button away when God tries to discipline you. You're just going to be on slim fast a lot longer. You're just going to be running a lot more laps. When I see my kids out there running, because i got to be their gym teacher, okay, and I see them running, and I see them going slow like that, what's the thing they hear? Where's my daughters at? Oh, they're none of the old ones. What do you hear me say when I see you halfing it on a lap? What do I shout out to you? Yeah, start running, and you got an extra one. You caught an extra one for that. I guess you wanted to run longer than catch an extra one. Some of you wonder why you're still single after 10 years. You're catching an extra lap with Jesus. Some of you are wondering why you still got to check out food stamps because you're catching an extra lap with Jesus. Haven't learned how to tithe and put him first. I ain't got nothing wrong with the poor or those in need. We'll help you. But some of you wonder why you can't pay your bills yet. It's because you're catching another lap with Jesus. Some of you are wondering why you haven't broken vaping on that plastic thing that gets you smelling like cotton candy because your nerves aren't right. It's because you haven't heard what Jesus Jesus said on the last lap, you're going to keep lapping. Everybody, listen, I don't care if you're Donald Trump. You're going to keep lapping. You're going to go from one marriage to the other marriage. I don't care who you are. I can look at people and make a godly judgment and say, oh, they're on lap 298. 
How many Christians have been around for a while and you can look at some people and go, oh yeah, they've been laughing. Yep, you've been laughing. You're just wondering why. I've had, man, come on. I've had people tell me, oh, it doesn't work like that. Look at, you know, uh, Bill Gates. Look at this one. Oh, they can be rich. You know, because they always try to take a piece of the message and say, well, a sinner can get it this way and a sinner can get it that way. No, God's looking at your whole life. Look at what just happened to Bill Gates. Lost his wife, lost his marriage after all those years. Got his name on Epstein's Island. That's a whole other thing. And I'm not even conspiracist, but that's what I heard from the main news networks why she rolled out. Man, your name's on Epstein's list. Oh, y'all get quiet like that. You think all the rich and famous got beautiful lives? Why do you think they take their lives all the time? Man, put $40 million in somebody's hand right now, and they'll worship it like a god. Uh, uh, that man had it all. That comedian had it all, and then he took his own life. Robin Williams, thank you. I'm telling you, man, you go out to the street right now. I'll give you $40 million if you lick the concrete and call me Jesus. And I guarantee you there will be people right now licking concrete, calling somebody Jesus. And they'll get $40 million in their hand and bow down to that. And yet a man had it all, and he still took his life. You'll learn, brothers and sisters, life is not going to be easy if you haven't already. And don't you dare, and I say this as your pastor because I love you, don't you dare come to this church, sprinkle some good vibes on you and think it's going to be easy out there now. Oh, I came to church and everything's good. I sprinkle a little Metro Praise vibes over this. It's all going to work out. No, we're all going to endure some hardship. That doesn't mean everything in life that is hard is discipline. You know, we've had great uh, Christians praying people in this church to have cancer. That doesn't mean they did something wrong. We don't believe in karma in that way. God is not punishing us with sickness. What he's talking about here is the hardships that we face in our relationships, in our spiritual life, and in our mental life. Is it any wonder as we have become so godless that now we're so drugged up on psychotropic drugs? There's a great podcast. I can't recommend all that they do, but I do tell you, man, I do listen to it. And it's called Girls Gone Bible. Okay, some of the young ladies, check me out right here. I do watch some of these things. I just am encouraged by it. It's just really easy to listen to. It's two girls coming out of the modeling, acting world of Los Angeles, and they went Bible, man. They're radical Christians. But this is the part of their testimony that I needed to hear. There was something that I had to get from them. As they said... We and our friends are the most anxious people we have ever been uh, in this generation has ever known. These girls were saying they are so anxious they couldn't even leave the house. Others were saying that they had so much anxiety that everywhere they went was with a pit in their stomach. And yet if you looked at them, you would say these are models of Los Angeles. They're in movies. They're everywhere, man. And yet these young ladies walking around with so much anxiety. Why is that? Because the world can't give it to them. Uh, the world can't give you peace. The Bible says, set your things above on Jesus where he is at, and he will guard your heart. Amen? And now these girls, and I love that testimony so much because the world keeps wanting to be like them. The world keeps wanting to say, if, I, if I'm good looking and people want to be around me and I make money and I do all this, I'll be happy. And these girls were saying, man, they would get so full of anxiety that sometimes they couldn't even leave their house. And now they say they pray, they talk to Jesus, they weep in his presence. And I'm like, that's my Jesus. Amen? So don't blame me if they say something corny or weird, but take a look at somebody new coming into the faith of Jesus Christ and notice how it works for them. And yet, and I'm not trying to say every mental illness is attached to your spirituality. Sometimes mental illness is physical. Just like I needed LASIK, that was a physical issue, didn't mean I was unspiritual. Sometimes mental health is in the hormones, it's in different things. Please hear me correctly, but I'm talking about the worries of life, the anxieties of life, how they weigh down even Christians after many, many years. And here 
here you got these girls coming out of drugs and alcohol, the party scene, and they're saying, Jesus, 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 Jesus. He set me free. He gave me a peace that I never had. You know why it's not working for that Christian that's been around, around, and around? Because they ain't working the word. Jesus is not playing favorites, y'all. Listen to me right now. I've seen pastors get stressed out and their wives not even be able to leave the bed because they've had so many problems in ministry. I've known pastors to commit suicide. I've known pastors to have to be on depression medication. I had one pastor show up, and, and when we were in a home Bible study, because he heard me talking about this, and, and I respect this pastor, but he came out with his medication, Brother Tony, and he held it in front of me. He said, Brother, don't judge me, man. I just need it every now and then. And I don't judge him as a person, but I'm just making a judgment. What's wrong with your mind, pastor, if that's what you need now? I needed that when I was a sinner. I needed weed when I was a sinner. Why do you need it now? What's tearing you up on the inside? I feel compassion for him. I'm not trying to judge him like I don't love him. I'm just trying to say God came to set us free. Pastors on psychotropic drugs committing suicide. We're no different than the world. Marriage is falling apart. Children falling apart. Why? Because we don't endure discipline. We don't take it. But if we can take it, we can what? Make it, y'all. As the old saying goes, God is treating you as his children. I know that I haven't always liked it. Remember I told you about the no movies and all of those things. I remember one time the Lord gave me permission, sister, to go to the beach. I went to Pensacola Beach, drove three hours to go there. My wife and I have now fallen in love with that place together. That's where Adam's actually from. And he bought a jet ski. Talk about a reason to go back, okay? I love Pensacola Beach, man. It is like the Ivory Coast out there, man. Like, like that sand is so like crystal, like the water's crystal clear and that sand is so nice and, and, and just like sandy. It's just soft, okay? Well, I was out there one night, and I heard in the distance, and I looked over, and I saw the lights on of the, the party on the beach. And you have to understand, as a boy from the suburbs, man, that's like spring break for us. Some of you Chicago folks can relate to that. I'm like, man, I've never been a part of this. And I'm looking at it, and I watch this. I'm in my early 20s, have a six-pack, praise God by myself at the beach, and some of you have heard the story, and now what comes to my heart? Hey, man, just go over there and check it out. You don't have to do anything. It won't be anything you got to tell anybody. You're by yourself. See, that's how temptation comes. But you remember, I told you for years I didn't watch TV or movies and these different things, right? So now that I'm about 23, 24 years old after getting saved at 18, I learned discipline. Because I had a friend that said he started off the same way, went to that party, was in Bible college, he was a children's pastor, met some girls, had sex with them, got them pregnant, had to drop out of school and marry him, go move into the trailer park right out there in Alabama. But listen to me, I'm not saying I'm any better than that man, but I know that day when the Lord said to me, hey, don't listen to that voice. That is the voice of your flesh and your enemy. Put that fishing rod back in the water and talk to me, you're going to be all right. If I had never learned how to be all right on Friday nights, not watching movies but reading my Bible, I don't know where I would have been that night. You see, now, some of you automatically think, well, Joe, you probably went against the hell and maybe this would have happened. Yeah, that, that, that's true. But listen, I'm not trying to get as close to hell as I can and still go to heaven. I'm still trying to live on hell on earth as close as I can to heaven and still be here. I'm not trying to get away with, with all I can. I don't want to take another lap. You know, I might have, like my, my, my guy, yeah, he was still a Christian after that. He married the girl. He started doing the things right. But he took some laps in that trailer park. 
Nothing wrong with the trailer park, but that's not where God called him to be. God called him to be a youth pastor, a children's pastor, but because he couldn't listen to the Lord, drop sins and weights and take discipline, now he's going through the hardship. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Amen. And so the Lord told me, don't you do that. Stay right here. And I want to be honest with you. I've always told you that story, but I've never told you the things that came next. I was lonely probably for about the next three to four hours because I would fish all night. Lonely. My mom knew I was lonely. She would tell me this all the time. You, you, you sound lonely. Nobody's out there with you because I was just in ministry by myself, a handful of people. And you might say to yourself, well, man, I don't want to be lonely, Joe. I thought just having God would be enough, and I'll feel goosebumps all the time. No, you know what I had to realize is that the reason why I was feeling lonely is because I was putting pressure on God to do something that he said he would do, but I wanted him to do it my way right away. And being lonely actually taught me something. He was there. I wasn't alone. Don't get me wrong. He never leaves us nor forsake us. Amen. But I felt lonely. And I felt sorry for myself. I did. Man, they can do it. And I even had friends at that time that would not be as, as bad as my one friend. They would do, you know, a little bit of stuff and then come back, do a little bit of stuff. And they were still in ministry. But God said, no, you got to let it sit. Stay out here. Be by yourself. Feel that little bit of loneliness to now know my discipline. And this is what the Lord taught me. It's better to go through it with him as discipline than to take the punishment that he'll give on judgment day and the thievery of the devil. You see, that few moments of loneliness that I had to battle that day was worth me not going down the road of what the devil had. You see, a father will discipline you, but he won't beat you up. See, the devil will beat you up. See, when I discipline my kids, uh, Lucas, go ahead and stand up. Give it up for this mighty man of God right here. Come on. When I discipline this young man, I never hurt him. But how many know if I don't discipline him and teach him how to fight, somebody out there will hurt him. They'll get him down, and when he's asking to get up, they won't let him up. So that means as I'm teaching them how to fight and I'm teaching them how to wrestle, because we don't just read Bible verses with my kids, amen. We teach them how to be soldiers for the Lord, okay. And I already have this in my heart because I know I have some soldiers here as well. I feel like one is going to be a missionary out of my boys and one was going to be a soldier. That's what I feel like. It's in my heart. We'll just see what the Lord does. They both may be soldiers. They both may be missionaries or none of you, but I'm just saying in my heart, one going to be a missionary, going to go lay his life down for that way. Another one's going to lay his life down another way. Still be a Christian though, right? But just hear my heart. If I don't teach him how to fight and build him up in discipline, there's going to be a bully. There's going to be somebody that's going to show him no mercy. So he has to endure my discipline just a little bit longer. Stand up, son. This is good discipline for you, though, right? Church kids, pray for him. Amen. But it's good for him. Why? Because as he endures that hardship, he gets stronger. He gets stronger. And the other day, man, when we were wrestling, man, I was like, whoo, you're getting strong, man. I broke a sweat. I was, I was really having to go from 30% to maybe 40%. I'm telling you, 50% even. I was telling him, man, there's some of those things. I was trying to get him in a headlock, and he was, you know, fighting back with his arm like that strong. But listen, if he does not receive that discipline, one more time, everybody get this, there will be somebody that will show no mercy to him. And the problem that we have in many churches and with many Christians is that when we're trying as leaders and other Christians who have been around a while and we're trying to give discipline to you, you think we're your enemy. You think us wrestling with you in the, in the trampoline is the worst it can be, and that's the t- most terrible thing. No, it's not. You know what the most terrible thing is, men? 
is when you don't listen to my accountability, you get hooked on porn, you get married, and you destroy that marriage because of that porn. And I got your wife looking at me going, why am I not enough? Let me help you now while you're single. Let me help you now. You ever, everybody get that? Same thing with the single moms. I'm just talking about relationships here. I've had single moms tell me, no, I'm still going with this one. And we're, we're all saying, we don't, know, we don't meddle in your business. Our line is just, are they a Christian? You know? And they're like, no, not a Christian yet. I'm going to missionary date, do this and that. And they jump into the marriage, and we have already had to walk them through the divorce do you know that the first marriage I did as a Christian already ended as a divorce? I mean, as a pastor. Let's give it up for my son. He's getting tired of standing. Amen. You did good. Good discipline. Daryl, would you come, please, in closing? Everyone get this, please. If we don't receive it now, the devil will beat us up. I look at my friend. I, I keep wanting to say his name every time I mention him right now because he's in my heart, the one from Bible College who did go to the beach, had sex with a girl, got pregnant, lived in the trailer park. When I used to hang out with him, we would always argue about stuff like this. And I understand that I was a legalist. I was like super intense. I totally get that. But he never heard God tell him to give up anything. And I'm like, that's weird, man, because God's telling me to give up a lot of things. How are you not hearing that? Well, now it comes to find out he wasn't listening. You know? Well, Joe, I can go to the beach. That's what they would tell me. First of all, if you don't know who I, who I am as a sinner, you may not understand this, but I wish I could sometimes bring a friend with me out here just so you can know who your pastor used to be. I was a mixture of the Jersey Shore and Cypress Hill. So just get that somewhere in your mind. A little bit of Jer Jersey Shore, a little bit of Cypress Hill. Still kind of carrying that today around, you know, okay? And he came from a similar background. The difference is he went to Teen Challenge at drug rehab. I went to my mom's kitchen table. My mom set me straight, okay? But we used to tease each other like that. But I always noticed that whenever we were talking about stuff, he always thought discipline represented something like legalistic. Now, I was overdoing it, don't get me wrong, but he never saw it the way it was supposed to be. Here's one of the reasons why. I think he didn't understand it. He didn't have an earthly father that was a Christian. I had an earthly father that was a Christian. I knew what it was like when I had to make weight for football because I was always a bigger kid, but I was lean, and they wouldn't let me run the football anymore in eighth grade unless I was like under 125. And my dad said, you still want to be the running back or a fullback? And I said, yeah. He said, well, you got to drop weight. You know what my dad handed me? Garbage bags. Put them on, tape them up, go out there and run till you're about ready to pass out. Then come weigh yourself. Seriously. But that's a dad. That's a father. He saw that I had a goal in front of me, and he said, that's what you got to do. I don't think my friend had that. So I think when, when God was telling him stuff, he probably just thought that was legalist. Oh, that's Satanas. Get behind me, Satan. No, I'm not going to give up a beach. You made the beach. I've had brothers tell me this all the time. And you made beautiful women. That's why I look at them, Pastor. Don't you look at beautiful flowers? I look at beautiful women. They don't have a problem with coming out in the thong. I don't have a problem looking. I'm not lusting. I wish I could have a lie detector every time they tell me that. I've had men who haven't been free from pornography tell me that I'm too touchy about it. I'm like, man, I've been free from pornography for 20 years. That's why you can't recognize it. You don't know what it does to you. I know what it does. I'm sensitive to it. I haven't drinking caffeine over 20 years as well since I've been saved because it reminded me of being high on cocaine. Now, I understand some of y'all drink it all the time, but you are not sensitive to it. Sometimes I can tell if it's just in something that we drank that it wasn't, uh, you know, something that I knew. Boom, caffeine. I'm sensitive. It's because you get numb to it. You see, my friend, he was, he was used to sin, and he wasn't, he wasn't sensitive to what it was doing to him.
So the Bible says, you better get over yourself. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as children for what children are not disciplined by their father. I don't think he knew what it was like to have a godly father. And I know if this generation is one thing, it is fatherless. This generation, most of you, I don't do it to embarrass anybody, but I've done it under different contexts. But right now, if I said, if you grew up with a Christian father, please stand. There would probably only be two or three people standing up in this church. Most of you have not grown up with a father, and if you did, he certainly wasn't Christian. And yet right here, taken for granted, is you know what it's like to be disciplined. And most of us are going like, no, I don't know what it's like. That's why most of you don't know how to endure discipline for God. So you got to get back to that heart that understands, Father is disciplining me. If you are not disciplined, everyone undergoes discipline. Listen to what it says. Then you are not legitimate. You are bastards. The Bible literally uses that word bastard. A bastard is an illegitimate child. Now, I don't say this to be disrespectful, but if you know anything about history, to have a family without the father and mother around in any culture used to be looked down upon, and the children were called bastards in every culture, Greek culture, Italian culture, African-American culture. We were all people who came from a generation where you had to have the mom and dad in place. Even in the Catholic times when they would bring in uh, the pregnant girls, if they got pregnant, they would bring them to a, a secret place to make sure they had the baby, and then to start raising them until they had a family because they didn't want them to be shamed in their community. Read about it. I'm telling you the truth. Some of you even came from cultures where it's still like that. Certain Latin American cultures still may make those judgments. We look at the, you know, the Middle Eastern cultures, the honor killing, and we don't understand because we don't even know where we came from as Christians. I don't agree with it, but Philippines is a Catholic culture. You can kill a child that you catch having sex before marriage, and you can kill your spouse if you catch them having adultery. It's called crimes of passion. And when I said this last time, my dad said, America used to have laws just like that. So I looked it up. The last one to get rid of it was Texas. <laughs> you know, Texas is crazy. But up into the 70s, if you found somebody in bed with your spouse in Texas in the 70s, boom, you could kill them. Crime of passion. Read about it. But we've forgotten it because we're not sensitive. I'm not saying we need to murder people. Please don't quote me as that. But what I'm saying is people committing adultery all over the place, having sex with, with all types of people, babies outside of marriage. And listen, abortion is never the issue. We'll adopt your child if you don't want to, okay? But the Bible says if you don't understand what he's talking about, I'll just say this, be polite, but you got to hear me. I'm not, I'm not the one who wrote it. Put it in King James so they can see it, please. Hebrews 12, uh, verse 8 in King James. You got a bastard mindset. That's what the Bible says. You, me, anybody. Trust me, I've been there. There it is, you bastards. You thinking I'm cussing in church. Highlight it for them. Man, I got people looking at me wondering what I'm saying in church. Just get ye bastards right there. This could be the, the new album that somebody puts out. Right here. You bastards. Seriously, I know it sounds crazy in church to be talking like this, but I'm not even saying anything other than the scripture. You bastards, ye bastards, y'all bastards. I mean, this is what it says when you don't have a father and you don't listen to the authority in place. Now, thankfully, we don't live in this culture where it's made out to be a shameful thing. We don't want single moms to feel bad, but we have to cover them so that their children do not grow up without the mindset of a father. We need moms to bring their children to church. So I'm just covering that base so everybody can see it. But the reason why most people in our culture don't get what I just preach is because they're bastards. And that breaks my heart. That breaks my heart. I adopted a lot of young people into my family as a young man when I was in New Orleans. And I wasn't much older than them. 
but they would call me their father. And one was really special to me. His name was Joe from the Calio. And he grew up with a single mom. And he's the one that told me, because I asked him all the time, man, how do you get your Bible studies done? Because no one else is doing it. He said, I go to a place that's quiet and private. He lived in the projects, Calio Projects, where Master P was from. And I said, how do you do it? He said, I go to a private place. And I go, man, where do you go? He goes, I go to the bathroom. I go, man, you do your devotion, your Bible studies in the bathroom? Yeah. It's the only place I feel safe. That man joined the military, got out the hood, called me up one day, Pastor, I got no family except my mom. She's going to come out. That's it. I got my friends from the base, but I want you to be my best man. You've been like a father to me. That's when I went to Virginia, to that base out there, stood in his wedding. Joe from the Calio. He's not a bastard anymore. His father did what he did, but that mindset inside of Joe changed became a husband, became a father, became a great man of God. That's all it took. It took Jesus coming into his life. And for this culture to change, we have to stop treating ourselves as bastards. We have to stop applauding that behavior. We made a joke out of it. Think about, think about how uh, degenerate we've become as a culture that Maury Povich knew he could make a joke out of fatherhood and put it on this show every single day. You are not the father. You and Think of the joke that became. I get it. I know that this man shouldn't be put in that position because a lot of men have been done wrong. But man, think about that baby. We're running away cheering. I know I wasn't the father. I know I wasn't. I'm happy that he's not going to have something put on him because a lot of people have missed, you know, have, have done things to those men. But I think about that child. And there's one in particular that sticks out in my mind. I could put it up here, but it would take us too long to, to get it. It's a little boy that's in that same situation. And I think it was Maury. Maybe some of you will remember it with me. And they had to have a drill sergeant come and teach these boys how to be men. You know what I'm talking about. It was one of those episodes. And then that drill sergeant was, would you want me to be your daddy? Would you want me? And what does the kid say? Yes. You guys have seen it. It breaks my heart. Because we weren't made to be without our fathers. And we twisted it up and thought it was being free and being sexual and doing what we wanted. But what did it result in? It resulted in a bunch of sons and daughters not knowing their dad, not knowing love, not knowing discipline, not knowing someone to protect them. And we know it, and it's cliche, but I got to say it again because I was just there on the west side. That's why them boys out there fighting. You know it. It's obvious because they don't have a dad. They're trying to prove it to the boy on the street, the next kid on the street. But that kid on the street ain't their dad. And so why are they dying for that one? Why are they killing for that one? Culture, because they, they don't know what they don't know. I was thinking to myself, if on that west side we could just get some fathers like Daryl and myself and others and just go out there and adopt that block and say, man, in one sense, we'll be a dad. We'll be a father. Not Father Tom, not trying to be weird with you. You don't have to call me dad or whatever, but, but we'll be like a father to you. We'll take you out the hood. We'll bring you to our jobs. We'll bring you to our backyards and play with our kids. 
so that you can see, man, there's a better way. I remember one time, last story, man, this is just touching my heart today because some of you can relate to this in the natural and then others in the spiritual. And some, obviously, it's both, but we need to hear this. I took a young kid out of the hood. We went and did some preaching together. I used to go around to the churches to raise up funds to give it away to the projects. Bought buses, transportation, did a lot of great things, just like we did yesterday. Some of you have heard this story before. And so we go to this one pastor's house Saturday, you know, before the Sunday. We go out fishing. We catch our own fish somewhere out there in Missouri. I don't even remember where, Iowa. I can't remember where we were at. But we catch this fish. We eat it. Getting ready to go to bed. Go to church tomorrow. I'm going to preach. 17-year-old young man looks at me and says, Pastor, man, that was the best, uh, man, that was the best dinner I have ever had, man. That was so good, man. I have never had a dinner like that before. And I said, well, what do you mean, man? And he said, I've never sat at a dinner table where a mom and dad were. I said, what? He said, I have never sat at a table where the kids, mom and dad, ate a meal together. And husband and wife, mom and dad. And you know what? I looked at him and I said, that makes sense, man, because you act like you don't know a dad. You act like you don't know a family. I said, man, Jesus wants to be that family for you. And that's what makes it so hard as, as pastors. Put it back, please, in the NIV, is we're trying to build a family here. And we're trying to help people spiritually grow. But many people don't know what it's like to be a child to have that. Let's go to the next one. Because if you don't have it, you're a bastard. You're not true sons and daughters. Moreover, we all had human fathers who disciplined us and respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and lives? So here we go in closing, brothers and sisters. If you didn't have an earthly father to do it, get some good men around you. Get men that you can trust. If I could have the elders and deacons come up here, please. And if any one of these men ever hurt you intentionally or do something against you, let me know, man. We don't play with that here. But I want to set an example for mothers and fathers to have people to come to. Some of them are already husbands and fathers and mothers already. But I'm telling you, they're here to help. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? Let me now just make this quick application. If you've never been in a church for a long time, you need to get seated for a little bit at a table and eat with us and, and be around us and get around a church. You may not always feel comfortable. I get it. But whose who's family always makes you feel comfortable? <laughs> Come on. I have a weird, uncomfortable family a lot of times, you know? But you get used to it. It's family. Don't be so quick to leave a church. Don't be so quick to leave a Bible study. The Vivid's opening up their Bible study and uh, their home for Bible study and others here. Uh, you know, don't be so quick to reject what they do in your life just because they say one thing wrong. Give them time. It takes time to develop a family. Just because you don't understand all the things going on in your spiritual life yet, don't give up. Look at verse 10. They disciplined us, our parents, for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. Sometimes we did have a father that was present, like my mother did, but he was an abusive man, not a kind man. And if you've had that as an example, there was a bad example. And so then we talk about fathers and discipline. You're like, no, 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 get that away from me. Let me tell you how bad it was for my mom. We have a song that we used to sing in this church that was called, I Have a Great Dad, or You're a Great Dad. And it was all about God. We have the best dad in the whole world. That's how it was. In the whole world. There we go. You know what my uh, mom said? She said she couldn't sing that song. She said, I don't like that song. Not just because it was corny, but I said, why don't you like it? She said, because every time I hear us calling God dad, 
it brings me to the dad that I had that was not a good dad. She couldn't even sing that God was her dad. Father, Papi, Abba, it's all the same word, right? She couldn't even use that word because it triggered that memory of growing up in that strict Italian home that was more abusive than it was helpful. So that's not what we're looking at. We're looking at a God, look at this, highlight this please, brother, that disciplines us for our good. When I took my time out on that pier in Pensacola and was lonely feeling sorry for myself for about four hours, that was for my good. I needed to learn that. I don't know what you're going through and I don't want you to be so like karmic that you think every bad thing is your discipline. But please, brothers and sisters, before we go, will you check with God what's happening in your life? Because I think there would probably be some discipline stuff happening there. And you need to hear it. And you need to understand it. It's for your good. No discipline seemed pleasant at the time, but painful later on. However, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who are trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your knees, uh, your feeble arms, and your weak knees. Here we go in closing right here. You see this man's knees, and you see this man's arms right here? These are strong. These are strong right here, right? But notice this right here. You see that? You see how I hit the weak spot right here? I'm, come on, he could beat me up. I'm not trying to, like, show off here. That was pretty easy. You know what I'm saying? But you notice that's now, now, now flex a little bit. Flex a little bit. Flex. See, I can't do it as easy. Why? Because it's not as weak. Do you get it? Go back to that just that chill posture so I can look tough again. There you go. There you go. <laughs> but you see the difference, right? Now, look right here. Look right here. Just, just kind of chill to the side. Chill right here. Look at that. See, that's kind of like weak, right? You could almost think, man, there's not much there, but now flex it. Come on. Show off them guns. Show off them. Come on. Amen. Amen. Look at these guys. Guns right here. Guns by the ton. So... What does it say? Come on, not weak knees, not weak arms, not feeble arms. Get strong. Come on, flex. Get strong. Come on, where you're sitting right now. Flex, 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 flex. Somebody flex. Don't just look at me crazy. Flex. Y'all ain't flexing. You're weak. Weak people. Come on, man. Don't be weak with me now. Somebody better flex. That's you. You're in a fight. The devil does not like you. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. Your God is there as your Father. He's there to strengthen you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Strengthen your arms. Strengthen your knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame will not get disabled so you won't trip and fall but be healed. How many leaving out of this place with the discipline of the Lord as mighty warriors? Would you stand up, give it up for Jesus, and give him an hoorah?